You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Two Vancouver police officers engaged in reckless use of force and are being punished for it under the Police Act. It stems from a 2016 wellness check on a woman that erupted into an all-out brawl with her husband. As Romina Dea reports, there are consequences for the officers, but not enough to satisfy the family. Damaged teeth, a likely concussion, bruised from head to toe, literally. Vladimir Chaikun, an engineer, was beaten by two Vancouver police officers in his home. More than five years after the horrifying incident, Constable Eric Ludeman and Constable Neil Logan have been disciplined. They are no officers. They are not officers for the police, for the public. The officers did not lose their badges. The penalty for Constable Ludeman, the lead on this file, is a reduction in rank, meaning a hit to potential promotion and to his salary, likely 15000 plus annually. The penalty for Constable Logan, an eight-day suspension. How much suffering my family, how much suffering my son, my family, my daughter, my wife, it's terrible. A wellness check on Chaikun's wife in March 2016 escalated into a violent altercation with the entire family, resulting in Chaikun, his wife and son all being arrested and taken to jail. The officers were reckless in their use of force, ruled Madam Adjudicator Carol Baird-Ellen. It is abundantly clear neither Constable Ludeman nor Constable Logan accept any responsibility for their misconduct, said Baird-Ellen. The adjudicator ruled both officers must complete retraining, work under close supervision for a minimum of one year or until retraining is completed, and no increase in rank until assessed by the department. While it is rare for an officer to be fired under the Police Act, it's not unheard of. An adjudicator does have the power to dismiss an officer from their duties. That did not happen in this case, but there was a demotion, which is the second most most severe penalty available. No accountability, says Chaikun, who's still suffering from his injuries. Constable Ludeman is still on active duty. Constable Logan is suspended. He's facing multiple criminal charges in two separate investigations. Logan is also at the center of another Police Act investigation, which is suspended until the criminal matters have concluded. Romina Dea, Global News. And in a separate case, a Vancouver police officer is now facing charges of assault in connection with an arrest in November of 2019. Charges have been approved against Constable Arminder Singh Gill. He'll appear in provincial court August 16th. Now, Vancouver police have busted an unlicensed pot shop and found much more than marijuana. When officers searched the shop near Clark Drive and William Street, they found two handguns and ammunition along with a decent stash of drugs. They seized cannabis oils, topicals, and edibles worth up to $60,000. This is, was considered a, a marijuana store, illegal, I should mention, but to know that these guns were in the store, like that just paints a picture, you can use your imagination, right? It's, it's definitely a risk, and it poses a risk, and anytime there is a, a weapon on the street, um, it, it poses a risk for sure. 
Police also found dried mushrooms, edibles, and powders worth about $100,000. A 35-year-old man has been arrested, but no charges have been laid so far. The downward trend in our COVID-19 numbers continues. We have 180 new cases today, bringing BC's total to 146,176, with 1,880 of those cases active. 162 people are in hospital, 45 of them in the ICU. And sadly, we've lost one more person to complications of the virus. Keith Paul rejoins us now with some details of a big shipment of Moderna on the way to B.C. Mm -hmm. and what it means for vaccinations here, Keith. Yeah, this is great news, folks, and totally unexpected. We knew we were getting more Moderna, but it comes in small amounts, 130,000 doses uh, every two or three weeks. Uh, today, we got confirmation from the federal government and Moderna itself that we now have a firm delivery schedule, and we're talking about a heck of a lot of doses. Take a look at the numbers. They're kind of mind-boggling. Uh, uh, for the week, June 14th, that's next week. Probably at the end of the week, we're going to get 392,420 uh, doses of Moderna uh, on top of the Pfizer we're getting. The Next week on the 21st, even more Moderna, more than 575,000 doses on top of the regular weekly shipment of Pfizer, which is substantial. All in all, 1.6 million doses uh, are to arrive for uh, use in B.C. in the next uh, couple of weeks. A staggering amount. Health Minister Adrian Dix somewhat overjoyed that the fact that uh, we knew we were getting Moderna. We didn't think it would be this much this fast. 962,000 additional doses in addition to the Pfizer, in addition to the AstraZeneca, which we're using as second doses now, allows us to speed up our immunization program. It's really exciting news, and um, we're, we're, we're now taking in the information, making plans, and uh, the person in charge of our immunization program, Dr. Penny Ballum, who's just been doing an exceptional job, is going to have a busy weekend. Now, to gauge the impact of this huge shipment, Chris, important to point out, yesterday we did 70,000 vaccinations. Just 9,000 of those were Moderna, 9,000 AstraZeneca, 52,000 Pfizer. So with 900,000 more Moderna, you can see those numbers are going to elevate considerably uh, in the coming weeks, probably 85,000 doses a day. And very quickly, something about uh, Johnson & Johnson we learned today, too. Yes, we got 300,000 uh, doses of Johnson & Johnson a couple months back. That Health Canada Today announcing they're basically going to be destroyed. We, we cannot guarantee the efficacy or the health of those vaccines. They were compromised in a manufacturing plant down in Baltimore, so they're gone. We don't know when we're getting any more of, of Johnson & Johnson, but we expect to get some at some point. Hmm. Looks like in the short term, at least, we don't need it with those numbers. Thanks very no. much, Keith. Uh, and with more optimism around the COVID-19 numbers in B.C., the reopening of the border is a hot topic. Premier John Horgan says he expects to have more information to share after meetings next week. We've seen a, a significant downturn in case counts. Our hospitalization issues are getting under control. Uh, immunizations are up. All indicators for the positive here in British Columbia. I'll be engaging with the federal government, uh, the prime minister and the premiers across the country next week. Uh, we have a subset of premiers talking about these issues of opening the borders and then a first minister's meeting on Thursday, hopefully to give British Columbians and of course Canadians a roadmap on when the borders will be open and how we're going to manage uh, ensuring that uh, vaccina vaccinations are a key part of that. Well, reopening can't come soon enough for the cruise industry, crippled by Canada's reluctance to reopen ports until early next year. And now, as Richard Zussman reports, new legislation proposed in the U.S. Senate could mean those ships never return. 
It's an integral part of British Columbia's tourism economy. And now there are worries the cruise industry dollars could be floating away. But we do need to figure out a way to ensure that that act does not pass on a permanent basis. That act is a bill now before the Senate from Utah Senator Mike Lee. It would make permanent a now temporary change allowing cruise ships heading to Alaska to bypass BC, originally put forward for pandemic reasons. I'm confident we're in a good place. Uh, This is a new wrinkle, but uh, people want to come to British Columbia. This was always our concern in the back of our mind that when the waiver became temporary, uh, there was always that opportunity that it could become permanent. And now that door has been kicked wide open. In a typical summer, there would likely be two cruise ships in this pier in Victoria. The industry province-wide accounts for nearly $3 billion, and there's frustration that Premier Horgan didn't advocate soon enough to stop this bill from ending up in the Senate. We really don't want to think about what what it would look like without crews in Victoria or even in Vancouver. For me to suggest that somehow I could have thrown myself in front of this bus and stopped it is the height of hubris in my mind. Cruising still COVID risky. Two guests aboard a major cruise line in the Caribbean testing positive Thursday. And the pandemic is why it's currently banned to cruise in Canada until next year. A ban the industry hopes is made very clear to the United States will be lifted by next season. We need the Premier uh, to to call upon the Prime Minister when he returns and say, hey, look, uh, you need to you need to rescind this order. A call needed before the future of the cruise industry set sail in B.C. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. B.C. drivers are getting another break with ICBC issuing a second COVID-19 rebate to its customers. The public insurer will distribute checks averaging about $120 per policy by mid-July, thanks to lower claims costs because of fewer crashes on the roads. Most customers who had an active auto insurance policy from October 1, 2020 to March 31st of this year will be eligible. Exceptions include customers with short-term or distance-based policies whose premiums already reflect lower usage. We've always wanted to make sure that, uh, that ICBC's financial situation is uh, sound and able to return those, uh, those savings. And of course, we have to wait until the first quarter, second quarter, to ensure we know the exact amounts uh, that we're able to return and then make, a, uh, and then make a, 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 a rebate decision. And I think most people have been, uh, have been you know, really pleased with the fact that they're getting money back. Cancelling Canada Day. It would have been unthinkable in almost any other year, but recent revelations at a former Kamloops residential school have at least one Canadian city in no mood to party. Why Victoria is cancelling its virtual celebration in just over a minute. An example of the bad behavior residents say is becoming all too common at Crescent Beach coming up on the news hour. And own a piece of Mr. Hockey. Unusual items from the Gordie Howe collection hit the auction block. That's later as well. Right now, though, the city of Victoria is sparking a national debate tonight over the July 1st holiday and more fundamentally what it means to be Canadian. City Council is cancelling its virtual Canada Day celebration in light of the discovery of children's unmarked graves at a former residential school in Kamloops. Kylie Stanton has the story. 
The days of red and white flooding the inner harbor as Victoria celebrated the nation were forced to go virtual in 2020. The pandemic giving way to a different kind of party. But this year, City Council has decided to cancel its plans altogether. We're just going to pause and uh, we won't be doing a broadcast this year. The decision that was voted for unanimously by mayor and council was made after Lekwungen participants told city staff they would not be taking part in this year's event, following the discovery of unmarked graves at a former Kamloops residential school. We really began to understand that they were in a place of mourning and reflection and that having them participate in a very celebratory event just, just didn't feel right. Global News reached out to both the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations. No one was available for comment. We all need this to heal. But there's no doubt the tragedy has been triggering for residential school survivors and their families. A revelation like this for a lot of people just brings it back with much more intensity. And I think it's, that is very difficult for people, without a doubt. That sparked a movement across the country. Idle No More, an advocate group for Indigenous rights, is encouraging people to cancel Canada Day and disrupt any celebrations with protests. Now the question remains, will other municipalities follow Victoria's lead? I think there's really been some awareness. This is a, is a crucial moment. BC's Premier is not so sure about more outright cancellations, but expects this Canada Day will most definitely take on a different tone. I think it's appropriate that all of us reflect on the events in Tecumlips territory and how that has impacted our relationships with Indigenous peoples uh, historically and in the present and, of course, going forward. The City of Victoria will be working with the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations to create a broadcast at a later date, showcasing their Indigenous culture. And it's expected the Lekwungen people will be participating in next year's post-pandemic Canada Day event. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Two Aboriginal learning centers in Nanaimo have launched a fundraising drive to establish their own independent school for Indigenous youth. Government changes have put the program on unstable footing, and Global's Jordan Armstrong talked to one graduating student who says the centers changed his life. Sawak is a learning center where we focus on not only education, but we also focus on their health and well-being. But Selwak and the Nasika Kumtuk's learning centers are about to be moved into a different school district. The transition and the uncertainty that goes with it is a concern for the Nanaimo Aboriginal Centre, given they've spent seven years building trust with the community. So many of the students that we've served have chosen to avoid school for one, two, sometimes three years. And so think about the the deficits that start to happen in terms of whether it's language, socialization, life skills. We start off with a prayer. So the Aboriginal Centre, in partnership with the Mid-Island Métis Nation, are hoping to go it alone and build BC's first urban Indigenous independent school. They've launched an online fundraiser with a goal of collecting $1 million. We cannot walk away from these young people. We simply can't walk away because we've seen the benefit. Young people like 19-year-old Sheldon White, who's about to receive his high school diploma, something he doubts would have been possible were it not for the unique model of Sawak. Before I had joined Sawak, I was living a life of alcoholism and I wasn't living the greatest life. 
Sawak offers flexible hours with staff available to students 365 days a year. Its curriculum combines traditional teachings, culture, and academics with work experience and trades training. That's how White discovered his passion for building mountain bike trails. As for the transition, the Ministry of Education told us funding and programming are up to the school district, but quote reasonable efforts will be made to maintain staffing levels. This is another home for us or another family. A family he wants to see thrive in a new independent school, one which would offer K to 12 programming and open next year. I've been reaching out to local artists. I've been reaching out to a lot of friends and family to help us with our GoFundMe page to hopefully keep keep our school alive. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. The statue of Queen Victoria outside the BC Legislature has been splashed with red paint. The act of vandalism occurred around 2:30 this afternoon. Police say a large crowd of protesters converged on the building to make their opposition known to old growth logging. Some of them splashed the statue and police are treating it as vandalism. The words land back were also spray painted on the statue's pedestal. The damage to the statue is still being assessed. Investigators are asking for witnesses and those with information or video to come forward. Coming up next, saving face. You can't give consent to something that you don't know is gonna happen. A BC filmmaker shows how we're losing control of our own image as facial recognition technology takes off. And later in sports, Djokovic and Nadal in a match for the ages, and it wasn't even the final. More tonight on that mysterious murder in wine country, the third in a month. There's a growing memorial outside the Naramata home where a woman's body was discovered by RCMP on Wednesday. Global's Jules Knox has more on what we're learning about the victim and why RCMP believe all three homicides are linked. Police say they went to a hairdresser's home in Naramata on Wednesday afternoon as part of their investigation into the killing of two Kamloops brothers. But when officers arrived at this house, they say the door was unlocked and inside they found the body of a woman. Neighbors have identified the victim as Kathy Richardson, and there's a growing memorial of flowers outside the yellow police tape still surrounding her home. I'm shocked that uh, something like that happened here for sure. It's uh, such a little town, nothing ever happens here. But uh, everything happened at once now. Police believe this latest death is linked to the double homicide of Carlos and Eric Fryer, who were found dead up the nearby Naramata Creek Forest Service Road a month ago. And the motive in those deaths is believed to be drug-related. Their uniformed gang enforcement team, uh, who will be in the area in Naramata and, of course, the, the neighboring communities as well, looking to identify um, any of those, the links that could be potentially be linked to these homicides. RCMP maintained that the three victims were targeted and the general public is not at risk. But the suspects in the trio of killings remain at large. No one's been arrested. Um, they're, you know, the investigators are still looking closely at a number of individuals. Um, and when charges you know, are, are approved or people are arrested, we're committed to providing that information as soon as possible to the community. Officers continue their investigation, collecting aerial shots with the drone, and police are expected to remain at the crime scene well into the weekend. 
In the meantime, people in the community remember Kathy as a kind, sweet woman, and neighbors say they're shocked and saddened by her death. Jules Knox, Global News, Naramata. Police in Surrey say they're increasing patrols around Crescent Beach, and that has led to some unusual discoveries. RCMP came across this scene on Blackie Spit last week. The parking lot gate closes at 10 p.m., and it stranded this car and the owner, so the driver thought he'd find another way out. He tried to drive out along a pedestrian pathway and got stuck on the rocks. Surrey Fire had to come and get the car unstuck. A B.C. filmmaker is sounding more alarms about privacy issues surrounding facial recognition technology and the potential consequences of posting personal pictures online. As John Waugh reports, his interactive film shows just how easy it is for what we consider private to become very public. Attention, please. We've turned our faces into Nexus cards. Oh my gosh, wait, what? Used filters to turn us into Disney characters. Look straight ahead for me, please. But should we be concerned about how our images are being collected without our consent? to feed facial recognition systems around the world. My photos were used uh, to train a system that's used in China to recognize Uyghur Muslims. Um, and I would never have consented to that. Your photo from your honeymoon was used in hundreds of research projects. Discriminator is a new interactive documentary by Victoria filmmaker Brett Gaylor. It follows the trail of who's tapping into his photos to use his face as a systems training tool. Facial recognition is a type of artificial intelligence, so it needs you know, millions of images to be able to learn to recognize faces. The database containing his image also downloaded by Clearview AI, the New York firm connected to the RCMP's use of facial recognition technology, recently condemned as unlawful by Canada's privacy commissioner. All governments sort of need to say that certain uses of facial recognition technology are off limits. This must be your child that I'm looking at. The documentary also points out existing flaws with facial recognition, like the struggle to identify other races because databases are predominantly filled with photos of people who are white. It's like building a fruit detector, but you only showed apples. Of course, it's not going to recognize an orange. Not being able to get that right, perhaps not a bad thing. But Gaylor says, ultimately, it's out of our control. You can't give consent to something that you don't know is going to happen. It's impossible. So instead, what we need to do is sort of create legal frameworks. Viewers of Discriminator can consent to turning on their webcams in an interactive demonstration on how facial recognition works. This isn't theoretical. This is something that is happening right now. While facial recognition isn't always used for nefarious purposes, it's something to think about the next time you put on a filter or post your favorite pic. John Hua, Global News. Just ahead, Maxime Bernier in the back of a squad car. I can get you step out of the vehicle. I'm going to place you under arrest right now why the Federal People's Party leader was put in handcuffs. Also tonight, a game changer for British Columbians living with type 1 diabetes. Two lanes north and one south at the Lions Gate Bridge. Steady volume south off the North Shore, while westbound traffic is busy along Georgia Street to the Stanley Park Causeway. Want to be the ultimate content creator? Talk with expert photographers and filmmakers at Henry's Vancouver about the best-selling gear for streaming, podcasting, and creating content. Visit Henry's Vancouver today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. 
Maxime Bernier has been arrested during his Mad Max Manitoba tour. Can get you step out of the vehicle and place you under arrest right now. Yeah. The People's Party of Canada leader is holding rallies across Manitoba this weekend, protesting what he calls oppressive lockdowns and vaccine passports. RCMP released a statement saying, in part, he is charged with assembling in a gathering at an outdoor public place and for failing to self-isolate in accordance with the order upon arrival in Manitoba. He was arrested to prevent the continuation of an offense. Bernier received a ticket and a warning before being arrested. In health matters tonight, B.C. diabetes patients are getting some very good news from the B.C. government. The Pharmacare program will now cover the costs of a pricey implantable blood glucose monitor that's proven to be a life-altering piece of equipment for many. Catherine Urquhart reports. So every 10 days, you take this thing out and you just go, puck. Ramia Hosak constantly monitors her type 1 diabetes. Her life depends on it. What the sensor is doing is tracking your blood sugar every single second. News that Pharmacare will now cover the costs of the Dexcom G6, a continuous glucose monitor, reason for celebration. Honestly, today is a game changer. Um, it is going to change the lives of so many people living with type 1 diabetes and their loved ones and their caregivers. Hozak is among approximately 20,000 British Columbians expected to benefit every year over the next three years. The announcement comes after a discount was negotiated during confidential discussions with the manufacturer. We went through a competitive bidding process and so this, this particular monitor, the Descom G6, was the winner of that. A continuous glucose monitor tracks a patient's glucose levels in real time using a small sensor attached to the skin. Readings are sent to a smartphone or a reader, allowing the person to take appropriate medications. Additionally, what's exciting is there's an alarm that goes off through the app when you're too low or you're too high. And that's where it becomes really important because oftentimes we don't realize our blood sugar is going too low until you're like in crisis mode. Benefits of the monitor don't stop there, according to the health minister, himself a type 1 diabetic. It helps uh, offset uh, people getting sicker and ending up in our emergency rooms, but mostly it makes life uh, living with a difficult chronic disease um, uh, easier. Every year, more than 29,000 British Columbians are diagnosed with diabetes, which is the sixth leading cause of death in Canada. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up next, reopening day for the Sea to Sky Gondola. We've created something that truly is uh, extraordinary. What the attraction is doing to prevent a third sabotage and keep you safe. Also, Gordy's gear up for auction, a collection of unique memorabilia from one of the greatest players to ever lace up skates. Dramatic video, fisheries officers rescuing a humpback whale yesterday near Vancouver Island. The whale, entangled in a thousand meters of fishing line, was struggling to survive. Add to that 50 traps, anchors, and floats keeping the whale tethered to the ocean floor. And it took four hours for crews to free the animal. They cleared off most of the gear and will continue to monitor the whale's health going forward. Now, it had been knocked to the ground by saboteurs twice in just 13 months, but now the Sea to Sky gondola is back in operation. 
No one has ever been arrested and no suspects have been identified publicly. And as Paul Johnson reports, the attraction's operators say they're dramatically tightening security. A brand new cable and a trip to some spectacular scenery. Here's a story of tenacity, if there ever was one. Kudos to these guys for sticking with it and pulling it together and reopening it. The Sea to Sky gondola's reopening is nothing short of remarkable. A tourism business that survived a once-in-a-century global pandemic, plus two acts of catastrophic sabotage. We're very intact and ready to go get open and stay open for the long haul. General Manager Kirby Brown says the multi-million dollar price tag for reopening will now be safeguarded by the most sophisticated surveillance system ever seen on a gondola. They're not getting into details as the saboteur is still at large, but think of something the military might install. We've created something that truly is uh, extraordinary and somewhat unheard of outside of you know, uh, industries such as the nuclear uh, space. You know? so. We're prepared as anybody could possibly be, and that I can say with great confidence. So with that gondola reopened, they've now restored more or less convenient access to some of the most amazing views in the region. That's why they call it Sea to Sky Country. The peaks are all snow-capped and, well, it's spectacular. The access to the backcountry and the uh, skiing and the mountaineering is amazing from the gondola. Equally compelling is the ongoing mystery of who cut the cable twice and why all evidence seems to point to the use of a simple angle grinder available at any tool store and if the saboteur's intent was to put this venture out of business friday showed that was a failure so whoever did it can reflect on that and the fact that the rcmp will be chasing them for the foreseeable future in squamish paul johnson global news one of the most stunning views on the West Coast when it's sunny up there. I don't know what kind of view you'd get up there right now, but Christy joins us now with a look at the weather heading into the weekend. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so we'll break down the weekend forecast. I have to tell you, though, remember last uh, September when we had all of that smoke? I actually went up the Sea to Sky gondola when it was completely smoky and you couldn't see anything, and oh. it was still fantastic. So oh, that's good. even if it's cloudy, it's worthwhile. Good. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look at tomorrow morning. So we do still have a chance of showers. Things are starting to ease off now, but a chance of showers mainly along the mountains tomorrow morning, certainly across the west coast of Vancouver Island and up through Howe Sound. But overall, we're going to see a mostly dry day, still some lingering cloud cover and a chance of showers in through the afternoon hours. As you can see here, this is about six o'clock. We may start to see uh, mainly cloudy skies. So we're not totally in the clear tomorrow, but uh, a lot better than what we saw today. That's for sure. Now, in through the interior region, Columbia, Kootenai region, your chance of showers will be in the morning and then it all shifts further north in the afternoon with a risk of thunderstorms and that's your Sunday everyone. Yes, back to wet weather. So tomorrow's definitely your day to be able to get outside for the south coast that is. There you go, the risk of thunderstorms across northern regions. These areas here, Columbia, Kootenai region, showers in the morning, mostly dry and through the Okanagan Valley. For our region, we are expecting a few showers in through the morning hours, mainly along the mountains, easing off in the afternoon, but back to wet weather on Sunday. The nice thing is it will be warmer than what we saw today with highs reaching the low 20s. Tonight's central windows weather window, a gorgeous shot from Esquimalt. Uh, the one thing I really like about this is it's gray, sort of a dark, cloudy day, but still beautiful across BC.
All right, thanks very much, Christy. Beautiful shot. Thank you, Michelle, for sending that in. Okay, some unique mementos of Canadian sports history, once belonging to hockey great Gordy Howe, are going on the auction block. Global's Ryan Kessler explains what's behind the sale of the prized memorabilia and how you can bid. Gordy Howe won four Stanley Cups and six scoring titles, appearing in 23 NHL All-Star games. Even with all his accolades, Mr. Hockey never forgot about his Saskatoon roots. I don't need any artifacts to let me know uh, how much dad loved his hometown. A Hockey Hall of Famer himself, Mark Howe remembers his dad as a proud and frequent visitor to Saskatoon. In his retirement, most of his public appearances were for charity, and he was publicly recognized countless times in Saskatchewan. It was always special to Dad, and uh, it was right to the very end. NHL auctions and Frozen Pond now have two Saskatoon keepsakes up for auction. Gordy's Diamond Jubilee medallion from 1966 and his Saskatoon Sports Hall of Fame medallion dated 1986. Bidding for each starts at $200 US. Hirsch Borenstein says... Mr. Hockey was like a surrogate grandfather to him, and these items are still around thanks to Gordy's wife, Colleen. Everything is, comes right out, of, right out of the basement, right out of his bedroom. Uh, we've auctioned off his golf clubs. We've auctioned off like his cowboy boots. It's, it's all unique. Borenstein estimates Frozen Pond's auctions have brought in roughly $130,000 over the years, with proceeds going to the Howe Foundation run by Gordy's children. We decided the best thing we could do to try to continue the uh, the legacy of Gordy and Colleen Howe is to uh, con continue to give back uh, like they did their whole lives. In honor of Mr. Hockey, the foundation helps kids get involved with sport. In memory of Mrs. Hockey, it supports women pursuing careers in sports business. And now two Saskatoon collectibles could contribute to that legacy. Ryan Kessler, Global News. All right, Squires here now. I just remember he had hands like oven mitts. Oh. He shook his hand at a golf tournament. Well, it's, it's, a, like, wow. it's a good thing you didn't get his elbow. Right. Because there's a lot of old hockey Boy. players who felt Gordie Howe's sharp elbows. And we should say Ryan Kessler. Our Ryan Kessler is not the same Ryan Kessler who used to play for the Canucks. No relation. Uh, the Euros started today with a less raucous gathering for fans of Italy, like Bob Leonarduzzi. If it were normal times... We'd probably be in the uh, in the, the center itself with uh, hundreds of people there. But the smaller gathering at the Italian Cultural Center did leave fans happy. Good to know. Also coming up, a thoroughly good version of satellite debris. Bad of the That's the best way to describe it. Incredible tennis. It was today. incredible. Amazing tennis. You'll all enjoy the highlights, even if you're not a tennis fan. Uh, and it's weird that today's match between Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal at the French Open was not the final. But the way the seeding went this year, it was actually a semifinal to see who plays Stefano Tsitsipas for the title. But what we did get was one of the greatest semifinals ever at the French. Novak Djokovic, after it was over, called it one of the top three matches he has played in all time. Probably because he knocked the King of Clay off his throne. But Nadal did win the first set. Six to three. It was incredible. The points were long. I mean, they were smacking this ball as hard as it could be hit. But then sometimes they lay some uh, 
little soft ones down to outfox the other. This is second set action. That's a good setup there for Djokovic, who won the second set. The third set went to a tiebreaker. Look at this. It's ridiculous. Oh, Nadal. It was too easy for him. He had a lot of unforced errors today, not like him at the French Open. Again. Djokovic was like Nadal. There was nowhere you could put the ball that he couldn't get to. You could have put it at the Eiffel Tower and he would have gotten it. And then the little fool drop shot. The one that fooled Nadal and he wins and moves on to the final. Incredible. Either that car is really small or the players are really big. I'm, oh, it's a small car. Okay, good. Start of the Euros. It's Italy, it's Turkey, and Turkey scoring on itself. Demerol could not get out of the way. A Berardi's pass, and it's 1-0 for Italy in the 53rd minute. Now it's 2-0. Lorenzo Insigne will make it 3-0. And that's the final. Italy wins the first game of the tournament, 3-0 over Turkey. Well, tomorrow is the Harry Jerome Track Classic at Swangard Stadium, but because of COVID, there won't be any international competitors, none from even back east, and there'll be no fans. But there will be some local Olympic hopefuls trying to earn a ticket to Tokyo, and one of them is Nanus Bay high jumper Mike Mason, who is one of the world's best. Mike Mason's had about enough of training. One of Canada's greatest high jumpers ever has competed in exactly one meet in the past 15 months. So he's looking forward to this weekend's Harry Jerome to get that juice back that only competitions can provide. So here we go, 227 and the same results. It's really what I need and, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter who's there really. I just, yeah, I want to compete and, and uh not just be by myself. <laughs> Mason can officially qualify for Tokyo this weekend if he can match his career high and jump 2.33 meters, which is about 7 feet 8 inches. But even if he doesn't hit the qualifying standard, he's pretty much a lock to get an invitation since he's ranked in the top 20 in the world right now. The top 32 get an invite to Tokyo. I've always been one of those people that uh, I think performs a lot better in competition than in practice. In practice, I have, you know, like, I kind of struggle to get that feel and to get that intensity. And you know, you have to try and use tricks to get there. At 34, Mason is one of the older competitors in track and field, but he's coming off his best season ever in 2019, where he won a Diamond League meet in Paris and placed seventh at the Worlds. He's still got the physical ability, but it's the mental game that's kept him near the top. I like to be a little bit nervous, so I'm not trying to push that out of my mind. I think it keeps me sharp. I think it's it's healthy to have doubts. I think it's just human, um, but it's how you respond to them. Mason has an impressive resume. Three Olympic Games, two Pan Am silver medals, a Commonwealth Games bronze, and numerous top tens at major competitions. A pandemic does give one time to reflect and ponder their future. And Mason's pretty sure his future includes a lot more jumping. There's a lot of time to think about it when you're just training and how many great memories you accumulated over the years. And with all the training to realize like why I'm putting in that kind of work because I just want to get to the next big one. <laughs> 
All right, second round of the uh, Palmetto Championship from South Carolina. This one is replacing the Canadian Open this year, and that's Dustin Johnson. And he's going to hit this drive 344 yards to reach a short par four. Oh, yes, this is beautiful. Then he'll make the putt for a bird. And he's at nine under par. Second place, two off the lead. Is much different. Hadley in the lead. Dustin Johnson in second. Nick Taylor made the cut at minus two. Roger Sloan, another BC guy, made the cut at even par. There you go. All right, and we will tee up satellite debris right after this. <laughs> I didn't even know what you were ending. All right, satellite debris to end a, a tough week for some some folks. Yes, indeed. Okay, we're going to start with uh, a couple of ads from the UK. One from Domino's and Cravendale Milk. But we'll start with Domino's. Introducing group ordering, only on our app. We got this. Why do cats stare when you're pouring milk? It's like they know it's only a matter of time. Time. The only thing between them and opposable thumbs. Imagine that. Cats with thumbs. And what if they got together? Gangs of cats with thumbs. An organized army with one thing on their mind. Cravendale. Well, jog on, kitties. Okay, it's me now. Yeah. Uh, all right, so this one is from uh, an insurance company over in Netherlands. We've used it a number of times. It's a new one from them. Uh, here we go. <laughs> said you knew what that meant yeah it was it's call us Appledorn. so it's basically right. just call us all right we'll fix it that's good to know <laughs> uh doritos and foghorn leghorn makes an appearance the doritos jacked are big 
bigger than a giant El Camino on monster tires. And bolder than taking that behemoth and breaking Evil Knievel's bus jumping record by two and a half buses. And they're crunchy. Cruncher than driving through a fine china shop that sells professional grade fireworks out of the back. New Doritos jacked. Tastes like awesome feels. Could switching to Geico really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Would Foghorn Leghorn make a really bad book narrator? It was the best of times. It was the I say worst of times. And by worst, I'm talking as bad. I say as bad as my Aunt Jenny's corn pudding. That stuff will sink you like a stone. Okay, that was you a little... You getting all this in there, son? I just added that last part. It's called ad living. <laughs> anyway, it was... I say it was... Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. <laughs> When it comes to cartoon characters, they always had the lumpy club. You ever notice yeah. that? Yeah. You never I've see those in real life, though. Looks like the chicken hawk was taking care of business there. Uh, as we have done for the week, I hope. Thank you very much, everybody, for watching. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Night. Thanks, guys. Happy kissing.